This chapel message is brought to you by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Today I want to uh, talk a little about encouragement. And so um, let me start by uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Do you remember how the movie starts? It's a scene in heaven, and God and an angel are talking. And God says, someone needs our help. And the angel says, oh, is he sick? He said, no, it's worse. He's discouraged. Interesting. How often do you hear the words that discourage you? On the news, at work, at home, even at church? You know, even the optimist grows weary on a diet of criticism, complaints, and conflict. What's the diagnosis, doctor? Well, the diagnosis is discouragement. Well, then what's the prognosis? Well, I'm telling you, it isn't good. Currently in our country, and much of the Western world, we have an epidemic of deaths by despair, being one of the leading causes of death in all age brackets is suicide and drug overdose. Well, with such an overwhelming time of discouragement, what can you do as an individual to help? Well, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us, Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just in fact as you're doing. So I want to give you some practical medicine for the soul that you can dispense to those who are ailing. I want to give you prescriptions for encouragement. So there are five. These are five words of encouragement you can prescribe. So number one, you are appreciated and respected. Number two, you are not alone. Number three, you are forgiven. Number four, you make a difference for others. And number five, you have hope. Now let me expound on that. So first is, you're appreciated and respected. So men, I'm going to address you. What would you rather hear someone say to you? I love you or I respect you? For me, it's respect. That's what I hunger for. I want to know that I'm making the grade. Um, wives, if you tell your husband you love him, he can run a mile. But if you tell him you respect him, he can run a marathon. But likewise, we all need to hear that our efforts are noticed and appreciated. With that in mind, what is our treasure in heaven? Is it not, well done, my good and faithful servant? What if you could give someone a foretaste of that heavenly reward today 
by telling them they're appreciated. What's your favorite holiday? I have to tell you, mine is Thanksgiving. I don't need more toys or gadgets. What I need is more gratitude. And one year, several years ago, as an exercise for that gratitude for myself, I decided I'd write some Thanksgiving thank you notes to all my office staff. So tell them what specific traits I appreciated in each one of them. I did that one year and then thought nothing of it after that. The next year, you know what happened? I didn't remember it, but they did, and they asked for more. What does that tell us? It tells us people are hungry for encouragement. Number two, it tells us even though one-time words are powerful, they're not enough. You have to keep watering the plant in order for it to grow. So number two, you are not alone. What do you do when tragedy hits your friend? When the doctor tells them it's cancer. When the spouse says it's over. When their child says they're leaving the faith. Or when they're told their loved one is gone. What do you say? You know, it's interesting, the Bible has no book called Joy, but it does have a book titled Lamentations. You know, some of the, the most wise proverbs you find in today is in the comic strip. And this is a comic strip that I've enjoyed uh, many years ago. It, it came and it said, you know, I don't need an ounce of prevention. I don't need a pound of cure. What I need is a ton of sympathy. So how do we show our friend that they're not alone? Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that we need to step into their sorrow rather than try and pull them out. Compassion means to share passion or pain. That's what they need. We need to remember that loneliness can attack in two ways as well. Tragedy may strike suddenly and cause a sense of isolation. Or it may be they may be experiencing loneliness as a slow-growing pain that eats away at their soul. This loneliness can be pernicious and unseen. How many times after a suicide do we say, I had no idea they were hurting so. They look so well. How did the Lord encourage Elijah when he was fearing for his life? What did the Lord tell him? You are not alone. There are 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal. You see, we can endure any hardship if we know we're not alone. Number three, you're forgiven. I'm reminded of the story of Les Miserables. 
where you have two contrasting characters. You have Jean Valjean and then Officer Javette. Valjean is a criminal, but is given grace and forgiveness by a priest. Javette is an officer of the law with no room for pardon. What is the result of that one act of forgiveness to Valjean? From then on, he lives a life of gratitude and service to others. What is the result of Officer Zavette's life without forgiveness? It ends in suicide, in death. Guilt is a heavy burden that gets heavier with time. You know, how often have you noticed that it's acceptable to ask for prayer requests for physical ailments at church? But do you ever see listing on the prayer requests spiritual struggles? What has more eternal consequences, my sin or my sciatica? James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you think he's only referring to physical healing there? I don't think so. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now here's the key for you. John 20, 22 and 23. And when he, Jesus, said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withheld forgiveness, they are withheld. You don't need to be a preacher or pastor in order to bring healing and forgiveness to others. Speak a word of tangible forgiveness to those that are hurting. Relieve that burden of guilt off their shoulders. What would happen if people knew that you and your church was a place that they could come and confess their sins and receive forgiveness? What if we were known as the forgiving Christians? What difference would that make in our world? Number four, you make a difference for others. Your life has meaning. The most powerful movie scene to me is the end of Saving Private Ryan. Ryan, as an old man, is sitting there looking at a grave, a cross actually in the movie, the, of the one who sacrificed his life to save his. And Ryan, reflecting on that sacrifice, turns and asks his wife one question. Do you remember? 
tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. What would it mean for someone to say to you, yes, your life has been meaningful? What would it mean if you could tell someone else, you've lived a good life? Here's my book recommendation. I always have a book recommendation. That's my spiritual gift. <laughs> um, so my book recommendation is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Dr. Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist who lived and survived a concentration camp and wrote of his experience in application to mental health. So he asked the question, how do you make sense of your suffering? How do you continue living when there's no end in sight? His answer? He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. His premise is that life is not primarily about pleasure nor for power. It's about meaning. Suffering is not a reason for you to ask God why. Rather, it's God asking you, what will you do with the suffering I give you? And here's a great quote that I love. There's one thing that I dread, not to be worthy of the suffering I've given. So how do you overcome suffering? Frankel's answer was this. Suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment, it finds meaning. Meaning such as a sacrifice for others. Now, let me give you three examples, illustrations for that. One that Frankel uses. A man came to him, a physician, who was a widower, and was struggling to live without his wife. And Dr. Frankel asked him this. Let me ask you. What if the roles had been reversed? What if you died first and your wife was to survive you and asked to live on her own? How would she have handled it? And he said, oh, it had been horrible. She couldn't, it had been, you know, eternal suffering for her. And said, okay. With that in mind, what if you lived this life now in order that she would not have to? What if your life now was a sacrifice alone so she wouldn't have to live alone? And he looked at him and said, I can do that. And that will make a difference. Second illustration. The movie is beautiful. Do you remember that? Uh, this was a foreign movie where the man is living and showing joy to his wife and ultimately showing, giving joy to his son, even in a concentration camp. I'm struck that uh, I've heard a quote that happiness is our moral obligation toward others. We have a duty 
not to be sour. Third illustration is uh, the old song by Ray Bolts, Thank You, where it recounts all the people coming up saying thank you for how you impacted my life just by your simple faithfulness. So what does that mean for us? By telling someone their life makes a difference, that their life has meaning, you may be pulling them away from falling over a cliff of despair. You can help them see that their suffering can be a worthy sacrifice. You can help them that their life is beautiful. And you don't need to wait until heaven to tell them thank you. Now, this is true for people who are going through intense suffering, such as cancer or grieving of a loved one. But how many do we know that are struggling over the meaninglessness of a mundane life? They both need encouragement. And the last five, there's hope. So what is hope? Can you define it? Webster says this, number one, to cherish a desire with anticipation, a desire. Two, to expect with confidence, so an expectation. And three, someone on which hope is centered. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Now, what's the difference between faith and hope? We often use that kind of interchangeable. Well, they're not the same. Faith is about here and now. It's trust for today. Hope is in the future. It's anticipation of that finish line. Faith is trusting God's words now based on past experience with them. And with the future hope of him fulfilling them. As I say, faith feeds the fire of hope that evaporates the cold dampness of our worries in this life. So there's a repeated pattern in many of the Psalms that goes like this. Lord, I'm struggling today. But... I remember you were good in the past. Therefore, I hope that you will take care of me in the future. Psalms 121 says this, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my hope come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalms 51, 10 through 12 says this, Creating, create in me a new heart, O God. Put a new and right spirit within me. This is my daily prayer. Give me the right attitude today, Lord. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation and sustain me in a willing spirit. Psalms 37, 1 through 6 says this, Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, 
For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like green herbs. Trust in the Lord. Do good so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord. He will give the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord and in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and your justice of courage like the noonday. So what is our ultimate hope? Well, it's that God really and truly loves you. It's that he will be with you in the end. It's as Samwise Ganchi said, that all sad things will be made untrue. I, I, I love the, um, the scene with, again, I've got so many references to um, Lord of the Rings. The scene you see in the movie where Gandalf is talking to Pippin, and it looks bleak. The, the walls of the city are being overrun. And Pippin looks at Gandalf and said, I didn't think it would end this way. Gandalf looks at him and says, <clears throat> End? No, the journey does not end here. Death is just a path, one we all must take. Then the gray rain curtain of this world will be rolled back and all turns to a silver glass. And then you see it. What? White shores and beyond. A far country of green grass under a quick sunrise. That doesn't sound so bad. No, it doesn't. Last, if we've got a moment, I'm going to end with an example, a real-life example. So I had a patient in my office who was considering traveling to Florida to see his daughter. And he was trying to decide, should I go this year or wait until next year? And I looked at him and said, I don't think there will be a next year for you because of your condition. What do you say after that? This is what I told him. I said, Eddie, I respect your courage and fortitude. Many years ago, you had a stroke and could have quit, but you kept on working. Now, even though you're struggling to breathe, you're still caring and concerned about your family. You've earned my respect as a good man. I want you to know you're not alone. I will be with you through all this. More importantly, you have a family who loves you, and they will be by your side. You said you felt guilty for not going to church because you're breathing. Let me remind you, God doesn't grade on perfect attendance. God forgives you. Eddie, I want to tell you that you are a good man. You have lived a good life. You've been a faithful husband, a good father, and a just businessman. You have made this a better world and given us a good example. And lastly, 
Do you know what's ahead of you after you leave this world? You know that your sins have been forgiven, not for anything you've done, but, but because of Jesus. Well, what has he promised those that are his? Heaven is our hope. There's no reason to be discouraged because your life is coming to an end here. Because what is next is far better and bigger than anything you've had here. It really is true. The best is yet to come. Keep running your race. Your finish line is just over that next hill. Now, if i got a few moments, let me take a moment and practice what I've been preaching. Let me speak to you, CMDA, and includes each and every one of you. I respect what CMDA does. I respect your courage to speak God's truth, but in love and gentleness. In a world that no longer sees Christianity as true, but sees it as evil. Second, I want to thank you for telling me I'm not alone. Oftentimes, I feel like Elijah. But then I get a CMDA Matters podcast. Or I get a letter saying, we prayed for you. And then I'm reminded, there are others who have not bowed their knee to this world. And I take courage in that. Your work is making a difference for those discouraged doctors out there, like me. So thank you. And let me remind one last thing. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as you are already doing. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we live in a broken world, and we live with discouraged hearts. So, Lord, you do not grow weary or faint. Uh, you are strong and mighty, but we are not. So, Lord, I ask for your encouragement. Help us to run and not grow weary, to walk and not grow faint. But we need those words of encouragement for each other. Work through us, through our voice, through our lives, to give the hope uh, and encouragement that, that this world needs. And in doing so, um, your kingdom will come now as it is in heaven. In your name I pray. Amen.